Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Change Wizard podcast. My name is Alan and I'm a change wizard. Yes, I wave my magic wand and hey presto, I manifest all that I desire. And if you believe that, I have a $10,000 course I can sell you on instant manifestation. (laughs) Now, for those of you who haven't gone in search of the link to that course, let me explain a little more. I am a trainer, coach and author who has a fascination with the human mind in general and human behavior specifically. It kind of helps that I have a PhD in psychology as well as close to 40 years experience in coaching, counselling and training. So the first thing you need to know is that the things that I am to discuss in these podcasts come from a practical, usable and non-fluffy perspective. Now don't get me wrong, I love fluffy folk, but I probably wouldn't let them into my head too often. And by the way, not being fluffy doesn't mean that I'm not spiritual. For me, the rational and the mystic can go together. But say more of that later. Now, I can almost hear you ask, what gives with the title Change Wizard? Well, let's look at the origin of those words. The word whiz comes from Middle English. It means wise. And the word hard comes from the same time period and refers to a state of being. Hence, wizard is the state of becoming or being wise in the same way that drunkard is about the state of becoming, well, I think you get the point. So what about change? Well, that's a word we can immediately recognise It means to make something different, to transform. Guess what? It's also from a Middle English word, changan, which in the 13th century replaced the older word, wenden, which actually meant to turn as well as to change. Hence the word, wend. As in Shakespeare's quote, Opeless and helpless doth age and wend, but to procrastinate his lifeless end. Putting the words together then, a change wizard could be seen as someone who's becoming or or is wise in the nature of change. Wizards in myth have always been linked to the process of change and transformation. Merlin turning Uther into the guise of the Duke of Cornwall to seduce Igraine, in many ways casting a glamour, a spell to make one glamorous. Mickey Mouse using magic to clean the house with potentially catastrophic results in Fantasia, and the numerous magic folk in stories who brew potions to affect the physical realm and so on. Now, in our everyday lives, the idea of change is not necessarily met with smiles and amusement. We can, as individuals, be very resistant to change, and as organisations and institutions, we may actually avoid it. Change, in all of its guises, suggests that there is a need to do something different, to step out of our comfort zones, to move away from the routines we have become used to. As many psychologists have noted, we are creatures of habit and have difficulties incorporating new routines into our lives, even if we intellectually know they are good for us. We tend to keep on doing the things we've always done that make us feel good, secure and comfortable. So, before we can consider the idea of change, we need to explore the idea of inertia. Now, inertia is the tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. Our bodies have got used to the way things are, so any change that personally accepted balance of the body is something that is resisted. You decide you're going to exercise more. 
So you're going to change that couch potato behavior. However, exercise increases the heart rate, affects the metabolism, and creates any number of physical changes within the body. Our natural balancing mechanisms detect these changes as unusual and tries to bring it back into balance. The balance it's always had. So there is an internal bodily resistance to those kinds of change. Now, as well as physical inertia, there's what we could call uh, mental inertia. Existing habits have become hardwired in our brains. The longer we have engaged in that habit, the stronger the wiring. Hence, our brains have a familiarity with routines that we have created. In order to change these patterns, we need not only to explore the motivation to change, but also rewire our mind-body system and create new patterns and routines. Good day. Recent research, as you may have read on my Facebook group, Stop Getting In Your Own Way, suggests that any new habit or routine needs 66 days of continual reinforcement to create new patterns and pathways in the mind-body system. Although it does depend upon the habit and the individual, this minimum does make sense. Okay, so we do have a natural resistance to change that stands in stark opposition to the often quoted saying that the only constant in the universe is change. When we look outside of ourselves, we can see this to be true. Nature is in a constant state of change, which itself seems to be a contradictory phrase, a constant state of change. Hmm. So let's look at a bit of Greek philosophy for a moment, shall we? It was one of Plato's works that the character of Socrates makes the following comment about Heraclitus. Heraclitus is supposed to say that all things are in motion and nothing at rest. He compares them to a stream of a river and says that you cannot go into the same river twice. You can't step into the same river twice. Really? What does that mean? Say I jump into a river, then step out again and jump in again. Well, it's the same river, isn't it? It's the same riverbank that I'm on. It's the same me. However, the water has moved on. It's not the same water. Nor, in a sense, am I the same person. For a, mo for a few moments ago, I was younger than when I am now. Now, I know that the philosophers amongst you want to argue the various translations of Plato and the apparent inconsistencies between this and some of his other statements, but if we focus on this simple phrase, we can find some really valuable insights. Everything, not just the river, is in a state of change. We might call that change learning, growing, evolving, but whatever, we are still talking about change. Whether we notice that change is really about how dramatic or intense that momentary experience was. Indeed, it could be argued that whilst the most profound changes in our lives are intense, even traumatic in nature, so many more are subtle and gradual. So change is a constant, and we are often resistant to it. Sounds like a recipe for disaster, or at least a hard life. As Lao Tzu said in the Tao Te Ching, life is a series of natural, spontaneous changes. Don't resist them, that only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. When faced with a desire, need or demand to make a change, how do we overcome our own inertia? Well, quite simply, you become a change wizard. So here's some practical advice. Try to understand the nature of change and reflect upon your own resistance to it. Accept that some things are beyond your immediate control. I'll say that again. It's so important except that some things are beyond your immediate control. As Reinhold Niebuhr offered, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. How many times do we waste our emotional and physical energy on the things in our lives over which we have no influence or control? How many times do we put our focus on these things and avoid making the small changes where we can do something? When it comes to our behaviours, we have to accept that doing the same things in the same way doesn't give us different results. In the same way that any change we make changes the way those around us react to us. It was Arnold Bennett who said, any change, even a change for the better, is always accompanied by drawbacks and discomforts. I remember a teenager I was counselling who really wanted to have a different set of choices about how he behaved. He wanted to change old, outdated behaviours. He was a little bit aggressive in the past. He had this thing uh, called anger, and I was supposedly doing an anger management session with him. So we worked through these changes, and he was happy with them. But what was his biggest challenge, do you think? Well, it was everybody else. They still saw him as he was, not as he was becoming. His teachers were on alert in case some of his past aggressive behaviour resurfaced, and this meant they were ready to interpret any action as being aggressive, or at least potentially so. His friends were missing the laughs they had at his antics. They now considered him to be not one of them. If we're consumed by other people's judgments of us, then we may never make the changes we want for ourselves, only those that they want for themselves. Again, I'll repeat that. If we are consumed by other people's judgments of us, then we may never make the changes we want for ourselves, only those that they want for themselves. So when it comes down to the line, it's all about making your own choices about change. As Robert Conkin suggested, resistance is thought transferred into feeling. Change the thought that creates the resistance and there is no more resistance. Hmm. Now, as you'll hear in forthcoming podcasts, the importance of our thinking or our mindset cannot be underestimated. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that we should simply say, well, I'll have to think differently. What I am saying is it's worth considering the interrelationships between thoughts, feelings and behaviour. They feed each other. John K. Galbraith wrote, Faced with a choice between changing one's mind and proving that there is no need to do so, almost everyone gets busy on finding the proof. We're reluctant. If we have a welcoming attitude to the idea of change, whilst accepting our own inertia, we can perhaps start to manage our responses to change. Nowhere is this more true than when it comes to imposed traumatic and unexpected changes brought about by the things we cannot control. We did not invite change, we did not expect the things to happen that they did, but they happened anyway. It's important to allow yourself to be honest about how you feel about these kind of changes. Terrible things happen to good people and good things happen to terrible people. We can start by letting go of the value judgments here and accept that sometimes shit happens, right? Sometimes we seem to have been dealt a poor hand. Working to accept this and looking for ways to better manage your responses to these things is not about trivialising them, but about recognising them. In her book, Slaying Dragons, Rochelle Goodrich writes, The world seems to want us to be sad and angry because bad things frequently happen. But I say we should feel the opposite. We should be happy and cheerful because good things also happen. We should be delighted to see the sunrise and stars glow and rainbows colour the stormy skies. We should savour every simple breath 
and eat each meal with gratitude. We should slumber in sweet dreams and relish moments of laughter and love. We should take more notice of the joys and kindness that do exist, still dictating the actions of millions of good people all over the world. Life is filled with pleasant moments, not just grief. We should be happy because this is true. Or less eloquently, but nonetheless true, shit hits the fan so fertilizer can rain. Thank you, Jackie Vermonts. Hey, hey, hey.